So we are continuing in our series of messages on the whole gospel, and I'm trying to pick different aspects of the gospel that we might not have considered before as part of the gospel. We have 10 messages altogether on the whole gospel, and today we're looking at part six on what it means to be sanctified. What happens to us when we actually give our lives to Christ, when we repent of our sin and and ask Him to come in and forgive us, and uh, we become born again with the presence of the Spirit in us. What, what is going on in our life? Well, let me start with just a silly illustration. When I was uh, a young person back in the last century, I, uh, I had a job uh, with a small family construction crew, and we accepted the job of building a dairy barn in Nokomis, Saskatchewan. Anyone familiar with Nokomis? I see that hand. Give her a prize. I couldn't even put Nokomis on a map if I looked for it right now. It's just a little village. Uh, I think it has a, uh, a pub or something, and <laughs> a gas station is about all. But because it was Bald Prairie we were going to, we had no hotels in the town. It was too small. We brought a trailer to live in and to cook our food in. We dug a hole, and we brought in an outhouse, uh, stuck it in over the hole, and, and um, there were no showers. So we decided we would work um, four 10-hour days and then have a three-day weekend every, every week, which was nice. Uh, but I can tell you, after you worked uh, sweating outside in, in the, the prairies building this dairy barn, you were kind of stinky. And uh, to slide into those bed sheets at night, uh, and, and when I mean slide in, I mean slide in, <laughs> because we were in those bed sheets three nights in a row without a shower. So, kind of sticky, yucky stuff. To make matters worse, the boss snored the highest heaven. And uh, if you got to sleep, you were lucky kind of thing. Well, every weekend we take the sheets home, wash them, and, and, and then come back on Monday for another round of work. But one day, the oldest son forgot his duty and did not take the sheets. And we had two weeks, two weeks of stinky sheets. Slip sliding away <laughs> into the sheets. And I can tell you, we never appreciated a nice uh, pair of clean sheets more than when, when that incident happened. It was like, finally, you know, this is what it's meant to be like. And uh, obviously, I've never forgotten that. It was traumatizing, I guess. Uh, but some people think of sanctification as like God cleaning up the mess in our life, making things brand new and clean all over again, making us holy. But what I've learned about sanctification is that's only part of the problem, or part of the equation, rather. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. So to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. So if I had a pen, if I started writing with a pen, the pen would be literally sanctified. I'm using the pen for how it was designed to use. The, the glasses weren't designed to hang from a chandelier or to, uh, you know, to decorate things. They were they're designed to help you read. When I use these, these are being sanctified. A human being is sanctified when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. To, to sanctify can also mean to make holy. So in one sense, only God is truly holy, as Isaiah 6.3 says, because God is separate, he's distinct, he's other. But then the scriptures say he calls us to be holy, as he is holy, because holiness is what we were designed to be 
It's the state of our proper functioning. When God created us as his people, as human beings, the design included holiness so that we could experience all that he wanted for us. That's what being a human is. That's how we relate properly to God himself. Holiness is when we are set apart for the purposes God has fashioned us or for which he has chosen us. So if you're a saint, Saint Kimberly, my wife, (laughs) Saint Tyria, how does it sound? Saint Rob, Robert, should I say Robert? Does it sound better than Robbie or Rob? Just Robert. When we call saints, it's another way of saying um, the Greek word is hagios, meaning a sanctified one. So throughout the scriptures, when, when Paul is writing to the church, to the holy ones, to the saints, he's talking about those people God has set apart for his purposes. They can be called saints because they are functioning as God intended them to. The opposite of sanctified is profane. We profane our bodies when we use them for purposes for which they were never intended or designed to be used. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Because of him, Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. With Christ in us, his holiness comes in and begins to have an impact on our life day to day. Some believe that our initial sanctification or setting apart for God's purposes happened at conversion when we were born again. And God set us apart for his purposes. But when I look at the biblical Narrative. I look at the characters in the scriptures, something becomes apparent. I see how people like Moses and Jesus, Jeremiah, Abraham, and Paul, I see how God had his hand in shaping the life even before they were born. Or when they were young uh, children, where they had not even met him, had God not led Moses' parents to put him in a little ark or a basket on the Nile River as an infant, saving his life, there would be no story of Moses leading the people out of Egyptian slavery. Had God not chosen Jeremiah from before he was born, it says, there would not have been a weeping prophet calling people's, God's people back to repentance. Had God not asked Saul of Tarsus and, and made him born in the city of Tarsus, born as a Roman citizen, he could not have made his appeal to Rome, and his life would have ended in a Jewish prison. See, God has already chosen each person set them apart for his purposes before they were born, when they came into this world. And he, he tries to engineer circumstances all throughout your life to help you come to an understanding of your relationship with him so you can be fulfilling the purposes he's called and designed for you to have. I think that when we become a Christian, it's like all of a sudden God reveals to us what his plans were. What he, wants, what he designed you for. What gifts and talents he's put in your life for his purposes to bring glory to him. We are like the clay pots, shaped and molded by the potter. But we're not yet put through the kiln to be finished for use. I think all of our life situations and circumstances are shaping us, building things into our life that God wants to use, wants to sanctify, wants to redeem things. Bad, good things and good things that happen to us, they're all there for a purpose and a reason. Uh, Let me just say that God doesn't cause bad things to happen. But in the midst of the bad things that come our way, he is there with us using those moments for his purposes down the road. If you put soup in a clay jar that's not been fired in the kiln, what's going to happen? 
Anyone have tried that? I kind of have. There's actually a little clay lamp that I got from Israel one time, and I put this oil in it, but it was just a dried clay. It wasn't fired in the kiln. And the next morning, do you know where that oil was? All over the table. It just kind of seeped out. I mean, the, the purpose is, was, a, was to be a lamp. It was supposed to be lit with a wick in there and give light, but it wasn't ready. It wasn't finished. It hadn't been fired in the kiln. You know, when it goes in the kiln, the oxygen uh, is being removed from between the clay molecules to make it ceramic. And then, then it can be used for centuries once it's got through the fire, once it's finished. It can be used for the purposes for which it was designed. I had a couple of younger brothers. One of them decided that he was going to do the opposite to what our family kind of represented. My dad was a pastor. Um, a lot of my, my siblings called into ministry at a at college age level, but he just decided to be contrary. And um, he started trying out for different gangs. I don't know if you, like years ago, there's this group called the White Knights or something, would go downtown, vigilante groups. He tried out for them. He had to crawl on your knuckles the entire length of a football field and back and all sorts of things. And he started getting into a bit of drugs. He started doing lots of stuff that was opposite to what our home represented and our values. Um, came home drunk numerous times, and we just saw him going in a very, very destructive way, and uh, he went swimming out in the, the ocean um, off the shore here in BC at uh, one point, and while he was out at sea, <laughs> just off the shore, he had an asthma attack, and uh, he, he, he couldn't breathe, he couldn't catch his breath, he was sinking, and at that moment, he sensed God saying into his life, I can take you now. Or I can let you live and let you live for my purposes, your choice. And at that moment, he gave his life fully into the hands of the Lord. And he went on to become a pastor and currently is a professor at a seminary. Fulfilling the purpose that God had for him all along. He was just running from it. He was just not willing to cooperate with God until God gave him a choice. And I think sometimes that's what happens. We have this watershed moment in our life where we're confronted with God's will for us and we have to choose. Am I going to go God's way or am I going to continue to go my way? And it's until we give up our lives into God's hands and surrender to him and his purposes that we, will, we begin to find out our calling, our purpose, our meaning, why he created us, why he's been shaping us all of these years. There's an initial sanctification at our conversion when God takes up residence in us, but there's also an ongoing sanctification. The gospel message says that God's going to get a hold of your heart, and then he's going to keep it, and he's going to keep going with you, right, till you get to see him face to face. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep, keep growing, keep learning, keep submitting to God, keep searching him out, seeking for him. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So there's a progressive sanctification that has in view the setting apart of believers for a purpose which they're created. Initial 
um, sanctification, that salvation, and then it just keeps going. It's just like we're, we're just getting started with the Spirit in us. If you have sent me in the world, Jesus says to, as he's praying in John 17, as you sent me into the world, Father, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. He's saying, uh, I, I've been called, I came with a purpose, I'm fulfilling my purpose, but I'm also sending them with a purpose. And I want them to be fully and completely sanctified, that they may fulfill their calling as well. Think about Zacchaeus in the scriptures where Zacchaeus was a a thief. He was a mean person. He was heartless. He stole money from people. He charged more than he should as a tax collector. Not just any tax collector, the chief tax collector, it says. So he got kicked back from all of his buddies that he gave jobs to as well. Until Jesus came, came to his house, came into his heart, and the sanctification began. He began to be transformed from the inside out. He repented of his sins. He repented of stealing money from people. It said he, 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 did, uh, he began to restore to people what he had stolen from them. The, the sanctification process was at work in him. He, be, he was transformed from the inside out. His life was going to live a life pleasing to God from that point forward. This word sanctification, meaning holy, meaning separate. When we give our lives to Christ, God grants us this Another big word is justification. Sanctification, justification, restoration. I think you have to have four syllables in every word to be Christian or something like that. <laughs> the justification, when we become Christians, we are, no long, we are born again. We are new. We are, we're not like we used to be. Our, our soul is now belonging to, to God himself. It's been transported from, from this earth and from the kingdom of this world to God's kingdom in heaven. We now belong to him. This, we are justified in his presence because of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross and his uh, holiness applied to our life. It is something we, we want to strive for, this sanctification every day, this practical, progressive kind of a holiness thing. Every morning when you get up, God guide me today. God guide me to please you, to, to listen to what you're saying, to, to put into practice those things that I've been learning and, and hearing. These three phases of sanctification where we are justified at the beginning from the penalty of sin, moving to, through grace and knowledge where we can overcome the power of sin in our life, and, and this glorification one day where we're going to overcome the presence of sin. We won't have to face sin anymore. Lots of words, justification, glorification, sanctification, uh, we'll have a test later. Get your pens and papers out and we'll see how well you do. But the, the good news of the gospel reveals God's standards and his expectations for his people. He's saying, now that you're saved, let me tell you what I want to do with you. Let me tell you how I want to use you. Let me tell you how you can have strength in the midst of temptation, how you can face the world and how it's going to challenge you. Deuteronomy ten twelve says, Israel, what does the Lord your God desire from you? Only this. Fear him, walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all your heart and all, in, in all your life. It's kind of simple. So why don't we do it? I've been in ministry a long time, and I've seen where worship leaders lose their fear of God and become flippant in their worship or 
have affairs. Like, like God's not watching. I've seen where head deacons in churches are causing division in, in, in their church and others are upset. They're not walking in the ways of God. I, I've seen in my own heart when I was a worship leader years ago in Winnipeg, I, I, I remember distinctly one Sunday getting up to lead worship. I had a choir behind me, had a piano over here and an organ over there and a congregation out here. And I'm, Back in the days, we had to wave your arms, you know, so people could sing, you know, you had to like this kind of stuff. And, and there, it's amazing, people just knew how to sing when you could wave your arms. And I used to do that double, you know, two-handed even, I was really good. But I remember leading worship one Sunday, mouthing the words, singing out, and in my heart, I was just cold. No, no love, no response. I was just doing my job. And, and it just hit me. What are you doing up here? And so I'm like, how dare you lead worship to a God you're not even connected to today? Sit down. And I was convicted that I, I wasn't even demonstrating before my own congregation the love for God, the true heart for worship. I was faking it. I was pretending. I wasn't there for real. Walk in his ways. Fear him. Love him. Serve him with all your heart and in all your life. The good news also is that the gospel empowers us to overcome the enemy. The enemy is going to entice us away from God. He's going to tempt us to do the things that are destructive. He's going to threaten us and put guilt on us and, and, and say lies to us and deceptions. The enemy's out there to ruin us and destroy us and to separate us from our relationship with God. But the gospel power, this justification, this sanctification, this whole process gives us the power to resist. James chapter 4 gives us a four-step process of this kind of sanctification. It tells us how we can stand in the presence of God in in an acceptable way. It says to submit yourselves to God. Now that's where it starts, a sanctification every morning when you get up, God... I'm yours. I belong to you. You've chosen me. Show me today how I can be an instrument in your hands to be a blessing to other people. Starts with submitting yourself to God. Then it says, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded ones. You know what your best defense against Satan is? Resistance. Just resist. Just don't give in. Just turn away. Just choose to think on something else. Choose to to not go there where he is drawing you in. Submitting to God is to recognize and affirm his authority over your life. As Christ prayed, not my will, Father, but thine be done. Acknowledge and affirm God's directives and commands as he provides them in his word. He wrote this book called The Commands of Christ. And the whole point of the book is, is for us to know what Christ expects of his followers. What does he want to see in our life? It says, draw near to God as a child to his father with humility, with anticipation and expectation of good things. Some of my fondest memories as a father were back in Winnipeg. Uh, Kim and I had our first child, a little blonde-haired daughter that loved to sing songs and make little gifts for us and uh, likes to to, to prance around and look, look at dad how pretty I am and spin in the dress kind of thing. And, but my favorite is when she jumped up into my lap and said, read me a story. And I just, you know, <laughs> I just wanted to give her a hug. 
It was like, everything's fine. Everything's good. Just holding on to my daughter, just reading her a story. She felt safe and secure. Draw near to God. He's looking for his kids. Come into his presence and jump up in his lap, so to speak, to let him wrap his arms around us. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. What sense do you get when you come into God's presence? When you came into here today, were you anticipating coming into the presence of your heavenly Father, offering him gifts of worship and praise, knowing that he's going to wrap his arms, he's going to send his spirit to fill you, to affirm what you're doing today, to, to remind you of his love for you. Is this a safe place for you, or do you have a sense that he's wrapping his arms around you, holding you secure and tight, close to his heart? Do you feel that total freedom to be who you are in his presence, or are you faking it <laughs> like I did, playing a, playing a part, acting a Christian, but you know inside there's, there's trouble? It says to cleanse your hands in James Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without being angry or argumentative. We're coming up to an AGM. I'll just read that one more time. <laughs> I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without being angry or argumentative. I have to say, that the last many years that I've been at AGMs in my career, I've never had a situation where people were angry and argumentative. I don't know what it is, but when you pray first, when you worship first, when you submit to God like he's asking us to do today, the Holy Spirit brings unity among his people. The Spirit guides us to do his will, and we can celebrate the amazing goodness of God. That's what I see AGMs as, right? Looking back over the past year to celebrate the goodness of God, and we have a lot to celebrate. God has been good. How do we submit ourselves to God? How do we draw near to God? Well, we have to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. We have to confess any known sin. Psalm 32, 5 says, My sin I acknowledge to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. We also have to repair damaged relationships. We can't just go to God and forget that we just ruined other people around us. We can't, the harsh words you spoke on the way to your prayer closet to your kids or your wife or your husband. It's like, you know, you've got to deal with those relationships too. Everything needs to be in order, set in the proper context and place for us to truly be submitting to God. For that sanctification process to really work, we need to ask forgiveness of others. We need to apologize for wrongs that we've committed. We need to do our best to make amends we ask God to reveal to us any actions we've done, any words we've said that were hurtful or harmful to others. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, I don't know why he picks on husbands, but husbands, <laughs> love your wives as the Lord loved the church and gave himself for it. That's pretty high standards, pretty high expectations to love our wives as just like Christ loved his church and died for the church. So that he might make it holy by cleansing it, with washing it with the water and the word, and might present the church to himself with all its glory, without spot or wrinkle or anything of that kind, but holy and without fault. Christ is trying to present us holy, sanctified, 
fulfilling the purposes for which we were created and designed. The good news is that the gospel gives us our identity in Christ and reveals our purposes in God's kingdom. We have been set apart. Before you even came to Christ, God chose you, put a purpose in your life and a destiny for you. And when you came to Christ, that the curtain was drawn back and showed you exactly what God is wanting to do. Are you seeking him? Are you submitting to him? Do you know what those purposes are? Maybe it's time that you find out. If you're, if you're just unclear, he will reveal that to you. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God before ordained that we should walk in them. In 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, right? You are chosen. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, holy, again, sanctified, set apart, a people for his possession, that you might speak the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you fulfilling the purposes for which God has called you? I believe that there are general things that all believers are called to, like loving your neighbors yourself, being salt and light in our place of work, in our neighborhoods, standing up for our beliefs and values and in our communities. But I also believe there are very specific things each of us are specifically created and equipped and designed to accomplish, things that are unique to each of us based on our spiritual gifts and experiences. I'm glad we brought uh, Pastor Steve on board. He does things I've never even thought about. He's got skills and, and experience in areas of administration and finance and things. I'm going, I'm so glad we brought him because that kind of stuff hurts my brain when I think too much about it. But that's how he's gifted, right? That's how he's equipped. That's how God put things into his life to use for his purposes at this time in the life of MRAC. I met this, um, this guy in Louisiana. He's an electrician. Uh, his name's Randy Carruth. Uh, Louisiana, or I think they call it Louisiana, when I'm down there, and I can't hardly understand him. I tell you, his Cajun accent just throws me for a loop. But I see his heart. What a guy. I mean, he doesn't appear educated, uh, but he loves the Lord, and God has taken him. He put a passion in Randy's heart for the native people in his area. He has gone... to, uh, and then the, in the south, in the, the states, they call it the reserves, reserve after reserve after reserve, sharing the gospel, leading people to Christ, helping people see that their ways are not working, that they need Jesus as the answer, sharing the gospel message, that you can be reconciled to God, that he has purpose for you, can, can answer your deepest needs. He's been, he's up in a, been in, up in Alaska, he's been in BC, he's been all over, this, this Louisiana electrician, God has equipped and called and is using in mighty ways that never I would have even imagined. Sadly, Randy passed away during COVID. Got COVID and it, uh, he, didn't, he didn't survive. But his legacy lasts. The changed lives that he impacted across North America. I think he even went to, to talk to indigenous peoples in Australia, New Zealand. Can he take a Louisiana electrician and make an impact in the world? Yeah. I watched it happen. Why couldn't he take any one of us to do the same thing? 
He's the one that has the power. He's the one that's the boss. He has the calling. He has the purpose. He has gifted us and equipped us and skilled us to do things that he has designed in advance for us to do. The good news is that the gospel begins the transformation process of becoming like Christ. That's the whole purpose of sanctification. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When I used to live on 240th Street, my, my youngest son was attending uh, the local elementary school. We had to cross a little creek with a bridge. What's that, Samuel Robinson? What's that little elementary school? Alexander Robinson, that's the one. So we were on 240th Street, the creek in between us and the school, crossed this little pathway with a bridge, cute little place. And uh, so I would walk uh, Connor to school. It was only probably six blocks, something like that. And we'd always find a rock to kick. You know, as one does. And so you, I kicked the rock, and, and then, you know, some steps later, he got the rock. It was his turn to kick the rock. And uh, the challenge was to get it over the bridge without having it fall off into the water. And it was not always easy to do. Um, but as we walked, and as we kicked this little rock, I'd ask him questions about the issues he was going through at school, about the bullies, about the challenges he faced, about getting in trouble sometimes. And, and I try to share with him kind of a biblical perspective on how to manage bullies, how we should pray for these kinds of things. You know, maybe a, a teacher accused him of something he never did, and I got in trouble, and I was sent to the office, and I didn't do it. And I said, well, how do you handle that when you're falsely accused? You know, we need to pray for that too. And, and we would kind of resolve, work through issues as we'd kick the rock, and he'd kick the rock, and sometimes we'd lose the rock, I had to find another rock. And uh, our kicking rock time became our communicating time. My kind of dad-to-son fatherly advice time. And uh, he would bring things up I never would have heard about otherwise. Tell me things that happened at school. Because I gave him a chance to just talk. And I listened. And then I would try and give the biblical perspective. Or how do you live according to our family values? Pretty soon, the, the right thinking and the right living became second nature. And he's continued down that road of, of pursuing God and trying to be a person of godly influence in his life. So sanctification, the, proper, the state of proper functioning. Are you in the state of proper functioning? Are you involved in the works God has specifically designed for you to do? Are you fulfilling your role in the kingdom of God as you have been equipped by God? It's my belief that until you are functioning as you were designed to function, you will not have a sense of fulfillment or feel like you are contributing in a meaningful way. Remember when I talked about Freddy Tuyazira a couple weeks back? He was the Bar guy in Burundi who was a teacher. But after the genocide that happened in, in Burundi and Rwanda, he decided to become a pastor. To, he's running the Youth for Christ ministry there now. Freddie could have stayed as a teacher. That's what he was trained to do. He had a degree for teaching. Could have just said, you know what, it's not my business. I don't want to get involved. But that's not what God designed him to do. It's not what he was equipped and passionate about. He wanted to change his nation he wanted to bring the gospel to those who were going to become the next generation of leaders. So he became the Youth for Christ leader and is transforming young people as they grow up and helping them to understand the ways of God and God's calling on their life. 
could have stayed a teacher, but chose to do what God had equipped him for in the end and is still making a huge difference in his nation. I just don't want you to think that God can't take anyone here and impact Canada, B.C., Vancouver, your neighborhood. He can take anyone here and make a difference. Look at the people he picked in the Bible. Ordinary folks, shepherds, fig pickers. And he took them and used them as he had designed them to be used all along. You bow your heads. Thank you, God, for this day, for another chance to just hear your word, to realize that you are not passive up in the, up in the heavens, watching down, seeing how things are going, but you have actively called us, chosen us, equipped us, put a purpose in our heart and life, and are, are actively shaping us to become more righteous, sanctified, holy in your hands, that we could fulfill our purposes that we were, for which we were created. Father God, touch our hearts. If we've been resisting you, Father, maybe today we say, I give up, I surrender. Do with me what you will, Father. I want to make a difference in this world, but it will only happen with your power working through me. Sanctify me that I might be useful in your hands. If that's your heart desire, I pray that you would follow through and talk to God about that today. Let's stand together and sing as God moves in our hearts and lives. And um, our worship team is ready to lead us. Would you do business with God today as the Spirit is asking you?